Hey, did you know this podcast has a Patreon? At patreon.com slash scaries. you can support the podcast for as little as a dollar and get early access to episodes and join in on community posts with all the other hosts and me. Uh, patreon.com slash scaries. Get out there and do it. Thanks. This is for posterity's sake. Yeah, exactly. Oh, beautiful. Uh, I, I, I'll sh- briefly show you my un, uh, unflattering young college humor face, but um, <laughs> it's cool to go. <laughs> His beard, where'd his beard go? Where do his beard beard go? Sunday Scaries. I was like, I had to play the Joker in my buddy's sketch yesterday with Pete Holmes. And, I uh, saw you on Instagram with your uh, Joker makeup on, and I meant to ask about yeah. that. I was wondering what was going I, on I there. Drove, I, I drove home with my makeup on. I insisted. My <laughs> friend Pat Bardot used to make me up as Precious Plum. And I blasted the Joker soundtrack and was like, why didn't I just blast the Hans Zimmer soundtrack? I was just saying, like, trying to get attention. So you're, like, listening um, to, like, the Hay song? Was, yeah, exactly. I, like, blasted that outside of, like, Sticky Rice and Echo Park just to see if <laughs> Like, in L.A., like, nobody cared. Like, you know, Were you nobody, leaning out the window just, like, Praying someone pulls you over? <laughs> That's what I should have done. I should have wetted myself down, um, put myself in a button-up, and dro- driven past a cop anyway, or at least taken a cop car. <laughs> taking a three cup. stars that on sounds, Grand Theft Auto uh, automatically. Very, very yeah. Grand Theft. I know. I was like, watch me just like accidentally when I'm like trying to get someone's attention. I just fucking fender bend some poor Hyundai, and then you know, I'll uh, <laughs> be like this fucking being asshole. Truly, the clown. Yeah, this fucking clown. So, hey, welcome to Sunday Scaries. Uh, it's a podcast about horror movies where each week we take a deep dive into a specific film and try to find connections between that film and other movies within the genre. I'm Travis. And I'm Daniel. And in this series of episodes, we're leaning into psychological horror and unraveling the mystery of what's come to be known as, quote-unquote, elevated horror. Uh, this week, we watched two brand new original movies featured and released by Shudder and are so, so excited to be sitting down with writer, director, actor. You know, he's a he's a regular Liza Minnelli. Producer, don't forget the big one. <laughs> it's Josh Rubin. Hello, how are you? you. Wasted so and singing over here. <laughs> You're still singing after that uh, the Joker weekend you just had. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. So you guys may know Josh from the uh, many, many sketches he started in during his tenure with College Humor or from his appearances uh, in original comedies such as Hulu's uh, Plan B. He's also written and directed films such as Scare Me uh, and Werewolves Within. And of course, he appears in two new features this year, Blood Relatives and Wounded and A Wounded Fawn. Uh, and those are the movies we're here to talk about today. Uh, had you, was this? This is obviously your first time both, seeing both of these. Both right? my first times, um, and uh, I'm familiar with Noah Segan, and I'm so sorry to admit this to you, Josh. I'm uh, a little less familiar with your work. Although I have to say, College Humor was probably foundation. I was in college watching College Humor. <laughs> yeah, we were the target yes! audience for that. Exactly. So I, I'd like to think that in some way I have seen a lot of your work. I just was like processing it as an 18 to 22 year old, and more thinking about like the comedy of it than the individual talent therein. Right. Oh, oh dude, I that was part of that was such it's such an organization. You know, I was I was p- part of a movement. So I you know to be a troop that troop where which like you know had was such a such an indelible part of that uh, that demographic, like people who stopped me and who were like, I grew up watching you. It's all <laughs> yeah. good. None of them remember my name. And they're all like, you're Jeff Rubin. And I'm like, nope, wrong one. 
Do they ever spit your any of your like caricatures back at you on the streets? Does anyone ever like throw a what's the like the line if they see you they might throw at you if they meet you in public? There's no character, but I will like the the obscure one, which which it's wild people whatever 30 years later uh it seems to be mentioned he's like i loved your gail beggy and i'm like wow like you don't know that i <laughs> not your jesse pinkman impression yeah yeah that i like work with all the you know exactly that i've worked with who i've worked with i'm just gail beggy to some people or precious plums mama to some people or <laughs> you know the six girls you, you'll date in college dude yeah, yeah but it's I... great because like i'm still doing fucking call dropout you know i'm still doing the uh game changer and stuff and it's just wild how much it's blown up i'm probably recognized more for that above even college humor stuff it's just crazy how it's taken off especially on tiktok and everything else and Bre- i mean brendan mulligan i don't think can actually walk down the street in any state um uh, or any country really without getting recognized with dimension 20 and stuff so it's because that's crazy like about all of it social media and tiktok have like sort of introduced that to an entire new generation well, it seems like i was gonna say is like college humor felt like the first like on facebook channel yeah. or youtube you know yeah. what i mean like it was something i didn't yeah. watch on tv per se but i watched the <clears throat> shit out of it yeah and as, a, as an avenue it's also opened up just like the idea of, of sketch comedy and even like little micro comedy bits tiktok has sort of provided that outlet for it seems like a whole new class of people um, i know even you josh you're active on tiktok uh, doing some of your uh, impressions and uh, and other bits too and i think we'll talk about that here in a little bit <laughs> oh bless you uh, so, uh, first off, too, before we get into talking about movies, uh, what really is your favorite horror movie, and why is it Jaws? I mean, it's so <laughs> trodden, right? You know, it's just so trodden. I mean, uh, I think it's just because that's the one I discovered sitting on the carpet floor watching my Zenith, you know, 1980, whatever it was, when I was old enough to process it. And I could, there's so many different ones that I could say. Like, I think Dead by Dawn is also the go-to one for all of us, Um I think that might have been the one I just kept rewatching and rewatching and rewatching. Um, and I discovered it so late in life. Discovered the even I didn't even watch the original Evil Dead until way after the fact. Um, but yeah, I mean, Jaws is just it's 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 a film like it's cinema. You can keep revisiting it. That was the magic of it. Is as a, as a kid, it's one thing. It's the shark movie with ketchup bursting out of that actor's <laughs> belly, and then it like becomes like oh shit, I'm getting the innuendo. And I'm getting the character dynamic and the masculinity and the, you know, um, the sound that you start to appreciate the sound design and the, the fucking shooting star that either occurred or that he put in there or that, you know, and then it's like the more you nerd out, the more kind of you, you kind of peel back the onion and enjoy it. There's, there's just so much to, to love about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, so many of us, 39 year old Caucasian filmmakers are like, you know what I love. <laughs> um, but uh, hey. Yeah, I, 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 I have a good time. I have a good time. I watch one through four, I hate to say, often. So, No, it's an amazing movie. There's there's, there's no apologizing for that. I love your love oh, for yeah. it. Yeah. I've seen the first for sure. So <laughs> I may, you may have pitched me like a, a decent uh, to revision to go back and watch the rest of them. Absolutely. That's the fascinating thing is meeting you youngsters who are like, maybe youngsters. <laughs> I'm like, I've seen it 25,000 times. Yes, you should. <laughs> 
<laughs> awesome. So uh, since these are two brand new movies, um, what we like to do is maybe kind of just have a sort of little first blush conversation about each one before we get into the nitty gritty details um, about each particular movie so that just in case anybody hasn't seen these movies, we can give them sort of a spoiler free discussion um, before we sort of talk about the other events that actually take place in the movie and sort of ruin the rest of it for them. Um, so first off, I want to talk about Blood Relatives. This is a, a sort of a feel good horror comedy written, directed and starring Noah, Noah Sagan uh, as Francis, a 100 plus year old Yiddish vampire who discovers he has a teenage daughter played by Victoria Morales. Uh, the two embark on a cross-country journey of hijinks and self-discovery, and along the way, they sort of uh, deal with their own tumultuous new relationship and uh, their own identities and relationship with the non-vampirical world. Um, so this is the first of the two movies, right? This uh, similarly had a sort of a, a festival release, um, followed by its uh, its release on the streaming platform Shutter, which we are huge disciples of. Um, this was yes. this I think premiered at uh, Fantastic Fest. Did you get a chance to catch us when you were at Fantastic Fest? Uh, I was not. I was a loser. I went to all the premiere screenings, but I was uh. gonna ask Josh, <laughs> were you present for Fantastic Fest for that screening? Dude, I was. I I rolled. Oh up, man, uh, we were in I the same say room. The day probably smile. Yes, I'm sure we were. I, the first day I rolled it, they were doing that like performance art with the dragons and stuff. Yes, outside. thank you. Someone called it a it satanic marching band. <laughs> yes, satanic marching band. They, you were like, there, the finally. From Shutter was like, he did it. And it was like, it. I think Smile had just screened or something. Yeah. And it was so overwhelming. Like, I hadn't been around that many people since like Tribeca. And we're just like getting used to crowds again she's like oh no we're just gonna go all out and drink and shout at each other's faces and satanic marching bands and whatever but yeah fantastic fest for blood relatives and that was the by that point i want to say the second or third festival uh screening of a wounded fawn and to see it right. on the that alamo screen that's probably the best quality sound and Dude. color i mean those screens are so top-notch it was just it was banging it was way better than the than the, the venue we saw um wounded fawn and tribeca I love <laughs> the film festival but my god like tim league sure knows how to do it particularly for a film that was filmed on 16 millimeter um, which we'll get to here in a little bit uh the second film that we're going to talk about today that you just mentioned a wounded fawn uh so this is the other film that you actually star in um you're one of the main characters in this sort of uh, it's a sort of a stark leap in a very different direction from blood relatives um this is sort of a surrealist twist on maybe like a classic slasher archetype that's infused with um this beautiful sort of allegorical connection to ancient greek mythology um illustrates this sort of harrowing story of feminine revenge and the disintegration of uh, the mind of a murderous psychopath um it's also colored beautifully by these uh artistic and aesthetic elements uh that harken back to you know argento and giallo filmmaking um that mm-hmm. one was too you just watched this i think this weekend right i watched it an hour ago fuck yeah Whoa. <laughs> how are you feeling are you trembling wanted... are you grossed out i so here's what i'll say travis is the smart one of the two of us <laughs> i go off of emotions so i uh i was like i want to do this as fresh as humanly possible like i think nice. i finished at four drove here at four fifteen, and we talked about it for maybe 20 minutes before we set up cool uh wow. and i was i was tripped the hell out uh it was, right. And he was like right. playing it as I got here, and I was like, "This it's even trippier to see it twenty <laughs> minutes later." Yeah, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, you know, I there are so many things I liked about it that tracked for me the the like linear progression right up until we start getting real dreamy. I was like biting my sinking my teeth into, and then it um, I don't want to say like derails, but like uh, it, it just goes in such an interesting bonkers. path. It, it goes it goes off the rails. Yeah, is yeah, 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 it yeah. Goes yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a fucking like phantasmagoric like roller coaster ride, which is like wow, okay, that's uh, that's different and intense. 
I, right. I will say that is one that I wish I could have gotten a theater experience for as well. Where, like you said, man, seeing oh. that on a, on sixteen that would have been a be great projected way. at Alamo. And I will say, uh, Fantastic Fest is yeah. a perfect and a, like an Alamo would be the perfect place to screen that. I know Shutter brings a lot of movies yeah. to to that FF. I went um, this past year just to do some uh, just reviews and stuff. And it was an absolute blast. That festival is like insane. But yeah, I, I always catch like some yeah. some really a wounded fawn type stuff when I go. The the really the midnight screenings are always super fascinating. Yeah. I know. I'm actually bummed I didn't get to see. I had tickets and then like didn't end up going. I think I can't remember if I had COVID. I was just exhausted. <laughs> bloody uh, Christmas, bloody Christmas. I oh, really yeah, wanted to see too. that in the theater. Joe Bagos is moving out. It's like up on Shutter now, so we'll check it out. Um, but uh, I actually worked like with Joe Bagos in TV. Dallas once. Oh, no shit. Yeah, yeah. He did VFW uh, here in Dallas, and I did play right. as a boom op. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was oh, fun. No I shit. got to hang out oh, with, wow. um, what's the lead? The the guy from Adler? Uh, Adler? Uh, oh, yes, Avatar. Yes, yeah, Stephen Lang. Yeah, Slang. They call him Slang. <laughs> He goes by Slang. Yes. He asks everybody. Just call him Slang. He's a super cool guy. But yeah, uh, there was him. I'm going to call him Slang Blade and see if he responds. <laughs> he will smile. He's a nice guy. He's kind of, he's still grizzly, but he's actually like a grizzly bear, a nice guy. Cute. Um, yeah. 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 Like Joe Bigos is an interesting filmmaker too. He was, he was running yeah. gun and we were like, whoa, you're running. Like, I'm not ready. <laughs> the sound needs to catch up to you. He would just pick up the camera and start yeah. running. Yeah, yeah, I, I buy it. Um, so we uh, kind of introduced the movies. Let's go ahead and just go ahead and dive into uh, Blood Relatives here because uh, I think we gave enough of a non-spoiler sort of uh, first blush and reaction to both of these. Um, so let's like talk about a little more about the details of each of these movies. Uh, so starting with Blood Relatives, we talked about how this is written, directed, and uh, starring Noah Sagan. Um, it's also starring Victoria Morales, who I understand uh, that you were at least partially responsible for co- connecting Noah with uh, Victoria um, after years worked together on Plan B. Um, um, what did the list of characters and or when did the list of characters and actors portraying them fully sort of solidify from the production standpoint, I guess? I think Vic was pretty early. I want to say she was uh, it feels like one of the first attachments because it was so major to get our Jane. And that was a bit of a stretch. But Noah's he's a mover and a shaker and he knows everybody. So I think like he'd already brokered kind of conversations and deals with like John Proudstar from Reservation Dogs and Tracy Toms from looper and rent and 911 and all the things she's in a, a trillion things um so we already knew that we had these killer cat these killer sort of cameos set in like benson doug benson he knew was going to come out no matter what which was so rad <laughs> um but uh jane i can't remember when jane, i remember jane was like that we had some just sort of tumult finding the right actor and getting the you know scheduling place because it was like right before the thanksgiving holiday and it was almost exactly a year ago um, where we even went into production. So I feel like it's sort of locked in um, a few weeks out from production. But uh, I had worked with Vic on Plan B with Natalie Morales. Um, and uh, I knew that she was going to be a total star. Um, I mean, Cuckoo Verma is the same way. Her, her co-star is just like both stars of that movie. But that's another conversation. Um, but uh <laughs> Yeah, Vic was killer. Uh, and so glad her and Noah hit it off. So we, we got to work together briefly on that movie. And I was like, can I keep in touch with you? I might have a you know thing down the road thinking that it would be something I would be directing. And Noah's project came up and I was like, I just worked with this insane actress. She's so good, so funny, so endearing, so talented and just down. And um, I'm thrilled that she she was into it. They hit it off right away. 
I was going to say the chemistry between her and Noah throughout that movie, that's something that a lot of people uh, in articles that I've been reading about the movie have been commenting on about how, I mean, Victoria in many ways kind of steals that movie. She just does such a good job of leaning into that role and really playing off of uh, this timid character that Noah presents himself as, this tiny sort of like Yiddish vampire who is, he never seems like (laughs) he's on the right track and he's always, you know, she she takes sort of charge and uh, steers the car of both literally and figuratively as they, uh, as the movie progresses. Um, And it's, it's pretty pretty amazing. Um, you talked about yeah meeting her on the uh, uh, for during your uh, work with her on Plan B. Um, I find it kind of funny actually your 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 role in that movie and sort of your uh, your short appearance in this movie as well in Blood Relatives. Uh, they have I don't know maybe a similar aesthetic, but uh, there is something to be said I think <laughs> about these uh, these characters who appear on screen maybe not for a great amount of time, but when they do, man, you kind of steal the show, uh, especially in this Blood Relatives scene. Uh, you play sort of a um, I guess you would call him a, a permanently hypnotized park ranger who is uh, sort of a, an eternal <laughs> victim of the Noah Sagan vampire. They have vampire. like a word for it in vampire culture. It's Not our that, like, Renfield. What is it? It's our Renfield homage. There you yeah, go. Yeah, there we go. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, I guess the idea is that he got permafried by uh, Noah Sagan at some point, and then he's he's just eternally pining for him after that. That's right. I mean, it's funny you say similar aesthetic in Plan B because Vic was like, "Why do we keep doing movies where you're creeping on me?" So I, I played this like essentially Syracuse hick who was hitting on her um, in the grossest way at a gas station on Plan B, and then in this one, I'm like, you know, begging her to let me like taste her flesh or whatever in this uh this asylum <laughs> um but uh, we had so much fun uh together and yes it is it is a complete homage that the blood relative script is like riddled with bram stoker's lore um there's so many easter eggs and just little nods it's just part of like how we know it likes to likes to work and how that script is was just you know so so airtight rad when it came to me i was like yeah i have to help you make this yeah, there is something about like the way he harkens back to, you know, the the classical vampiric lore where every time he approaches the door, he's asking if he can come in. Uh, you know, he's sleeping in his like his souped up muscle car at night with a, a, a cover on it. Um, and then he has his uh, like I he, I love that they do the um, it's it's like interview with a vampire vampire yeah chief. it's not it's not the canines it's like the incisors that's the, I uh, love that you know that too <laughs> yeah. it's it's so like I don't know it's it's one of those things Deep that cut. is like. It's it's a '90s vampire cut that I think just <laughs> appeals to me in some way. I I yeah. also yeah. I love that uh, like he can be intimidating, right? The, and I know I love Noah Sagan's voice register. If that sounds weird, <laughs> like it's that kind of a yeah. higher register yeah. that like I instantly recognize Scratch. him when I hear him speak. Um, and so I didn't know going into it, it was a clean watch, and I was like, "Holy shit, is that Noah Sagan?" And then I read the credits, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, of course, yeah, everything was him. Don't forget, in Looper, I mean, he was one of the most intimidating bad guys. I was like, "Holy shit, that guy's scary!" Like, well, we were laughing before this about his like deep friendship with Ryan Johnson because I first saw him in Brick, right. and I thought like it, yeah. Brick's kind of funny that way, is he is intimidating, but then he's not. <laughs> Or when he yeah, plays like yeah, a bumbling yeah. deputy and knives out, and yeah, he's just like the uh, and it's the same, <laughs> same kind of uh, effect in Blood Relatives is like, yeah, he's a menacing vampire, but he has this. I love the Yiddish in him that it like undercuts some of his like more scary moments where he's like trying to explain like <laughs> yep. all these generic terms, especially to like a Texas like gas station operator. He's like throwing <laughs> out random like, Yiddish colloquialisms, and it just goes schlepped. Like, I yeah. schlepped all the way here. <laughs> 
Um, there's something I think that kind of like ties it to uh, something I wanted to ask you about sort of, you know, with the films of uh, Jordan Peele having garnered so much success and uh, really recent releases by other sketch comedy alumni, such as Zach Greger, getting so much appreciation. Um, the conversation about the relationship between comedy and horror seems particularly relevant in 2022, um, whether it's like the unique sensibility with the timing of scenes in the editing room or sort of like an innate grasp of character. Um, what do you personally think is the thing that links the two genres so closely? If there is something. Wow, you you really nailed it. I mean, the comedy and horror, you, you could say there's the unexpected kind of boundary pushing. Well, I'll say the unexpected nature of the lump, the 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 jump scare and a laugh. You don't know when you're gonna ga or guffaw. But there's also the 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 comedy filmmakers. I think why that particular um, maybe thread that helix that double helix is playing the way that it is culturally right now why you're seeing so many comics become or or people with comedy backgrounds from krasinski and even todd phillips i'd consider joker up there because it's disturbing it totally surprised me I, that the hangover guy would handle something so dark <laughs> all the way through to anything peel has done Kreger, of course um i think it's because comedians push boundaries and we really hold the mirror up to society we we can mimic and we're really we're natural observationists um and then it's the the technician side the filmmaking side is just that's just icing on the cake um so if we have this kind of boundary pushing north star inherent to who we are you're going to get something that that might hit a bit more maybe in the cultural conversation than you know if we were just like um i don't know setting out to uh, to George Lucas some horror movie. <laughs> that is something that's interesting. I hadn't considered that before because I feel like even filmmakers such, like uh, there was an interview that uh, Del Toro did when he was talking about the production of Nightmare Alley um, and about his his idea of the foreseeable resurgence of noir in the near future. Um, and he also spoke of horror and the idea of that during sort of global social or, you know, even like countrywide, you know, times of tumult um, or times of, of, of social tumult and strenuous, you know, pressure on the social fabric of our society. That's when we sort of see things like horror um, sort of put popping out again either as a form of escapism mm -hmm. or catharsis and I think that's really interesting I never thought to the idea of um, comedy especially as a reflective lens uh, to look back on society and then so quickly sort of address you know the things that are funny about it but also the things that are horrific about it um, that is something that's interesting comedy is such a such a salient uh, art form that that maybe yeah. I guess yeah that is something that's uh, that's bringing it back to life the early relationship between you comedy can and imagine right how that's that's exactly right you can imagine how um how blazing uh, a horror movie from Chris Rock might be, as an example. <laughs> you can almost think of someone who is as um, uh, has such a point of view as his, um, or if you know Robin Williams eventually got behind uh, oh, the man. camera, or Leguizamo. I think I know he directed a few things. <clears throat> he didn't venture into genre, but you you can just imagine what you know those those great minds could do, and all of them, almost every great comedian actor, has <clears throat> played the dark role or been in the dark film at this point because that side exists. I think in all of us. I mean, I was a horror lover before I was a comedy lover, and the comedy shit I can do just kind of rolling out the rolling out of bed. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I, that's that's all super well said. Do you uh do you have a dream comedian you hope gets behind the camera someday or uh, or at least kind of like takes on a, a genre project? Well, behind the camera, um, that's a really that's a really really good question. I'd have to I'd have to think about that. Um, you can you can noodle on I, it if you need. 
I, you know, I really, I love, um, I love Lake Bell just as a performer so much. And I know she's directed, she did, uh, I think it was in a world VO movie and she did another one I didn't see. Um, just because she's so fucking funny and because she's so just kind of whip smart, so imbued in the indie film community, I would, I would love to see her kind of helmet the way that Olivia Wilde did. Oh, you yeah. know, with uh, Don't Worry Darling, Say What You Will About the Swing. But it's like, hey, let's see <laughs> sure. someone who really has that comedic sensibility, you know, kind of kind of go there. I think that would be that'd be super fun. I'll probably have a maybe a better answer, hopefully, by the end of our, our convo. No, but, totally. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. off the top of the um, anyway. I'm always curious because I love listening to uh, like d- performers who also go kind of like start either start in the creative side and then go behind the camera. Um, do you think there is anything that you learned from those mm-hmm. early sketch days? Um, just doing like the the basic stuff, even like your three man crew for whatever silly out like beginnings of college humor type stuff that influenced how you work now, or even some of the stuff you kind of take with you going forward. That uh, oh man, that that's... maybe it, like works in your favor or something. Yeah, I'll tell you what it is: is you don't back then there was no scout, there was no location scout. We would just you know, call whatever, like St. Cecilia's Chapel a couple days ahead of time and grease the priest with 40 bucks or 500 (laughs) bucks or whatever to go in and shoot a, I don't know, Mel Gibson gets pulled over sketch um, talking (laughs) to trick-or-treaters or or whatever the fuck it was, or a Lady Lady Perry puppet parody. Um, And your scout was also the day where you'd shoot, was also the day where you'd wrap out, was also, was also, was also. It was like everything was like, it was true, like Saturday Night Live Beast Unit, but like barely any permits, truly, truly skeleton crew. So what you learn from that is you learn how to problem solve on your toes. And boy, did I fall down and fuck up so many times. But like, I can, I can work very very efficiently um and very very much under pressure so much so not not i wouldn't say like in the maybe the bago speed you know probably yeah. i like tried it it took me a long time to sort of learn how you have to communicate to your crew to keep up with you is why jim cummings i think really prefers to work smaller because they can keep up with him um and because he's also a problem solving sort of personality uh that's what i learned you know the scene in werewolves when shit goes down in a hallway um, when there's gunshots and the hands getting bitten off and yeah. all kinds of stuff, I had <laughs> I had three hours to do that after lunch, and no one thought we could do it, and we nailed it. We nailed it because you just know how to work in a pinch, and I work really well in a pinch. What I'm excited about in the future is to actually have time and resources, or at least a little bit more time and resources, because I'm also a really good prepper, and that's that's another thing you kind of learn over the years, just kind of doing shit last minute, college humor, wherever. And the same thing working with celebrities. I mean, working in the commercial world or branded video, you get, you know, hey, we have Adam Driver for 40 minutes or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like a lot of that stuff, you know. So that's, that's what that... I take with me, I think. Okay. That's amazing. I think that fits into, uh, so moving on to talking about uh, a wounded fawn. Um, this is something, so you talked, you re- referenced uh, uh, Werewolves Within. Um, and I want to talk about how your work in that uh, that original film that you directed, wrote, um, as well as the film uh, Scare Me, which I think uh, other people have made connections mm-hmm. between your character and Scare Me um, and Bruce and a wounded fawn and how uh, mm-hmm. there is this sort of underlying character study that's going on uh, in both films. Uh, and in this one, it's a lot more fleshed out. It's not as comedic or slapstick, um, but there is 
something about this idea of this character who's um, sort of his own internalized psychopathy or misogyny is on display uh, and it's slowly unraveled and in this film destroyed over the course of the movie. Um, What is it like kind of getting into the headspace of a a psychopath like that for a movie like this? Well, I love talking to guys like you who understand my background in comedy (laughs) um, about something like this because, you know, I'm so used to playing like goblins and sketch characters (laughs) and kind of broad stuff and I love the dark shit. I was a kid who grew up loving every time you'd see a Leguizamo or Robin Williams play dark like you know when one hour photo came out it was like that you know the my world totally opened up it's like holy shit this is a revolutionary moment so you kind of um, like for me the acting challenge was to play almost as kind of grounded as possible because there's nothing scarier than someone who just knows they're right Um, and then the action speaks for itself and it's sort of casual. It's just a part of their reality as opposed to like playing the mischievous twirling of the mustache thing. Yeah. Um, so there was that piece of it. And there was the kind of figuring out how to play seductive because that's such a part of how Bruce <laughs> prays, you know, and it's just not, you know, it's like a, a five, eight comedian who plays, you know, like um, uh, Precious Plum's mom and a pro- hundreds of pounds of prosthetics. <laughs> Like, I don't typically get to play, like, what would Josh, you know, how would Josh exude sexy or seduce when this is like, this is fucking Patrick Bateman. It's like how he knows he looks good and he knows how to talk. So that was really, it was hard to do it or at least like start thinking about that. And then like, you know, uh, uh, not to not skewer it um, or to not make fun of it or to not do it. it. So what, what became exciting to me was less of the challenge element and more just like, Oh, I get to skewer a narcissist. I get to <laughs> yeah. skewer the mansplaining, like toxic, dumb fucks in my certainly in my industry or really in the, you know the world. Like guys who peacock with their fancy car and their art and their this and their that. Or their fancy they cabin. Just, yeah, exactly. The fancy <laughs> cabin or their artwork. You know, I remember when the iPhone first came out. I used to work with a guy who would always whip it out and show girls pictures on it because that's how he would peacock. And at the core of his onion was just like this, you know, vulnerable fucking insecure kid. And I was like, Oh my God, I get to, I get to skewer that type. I get to skewer the Trumps and the Musks and the whatever. Right. But at his, the core of this dude's onion is the, like a psychotic, um, you know, mass murder basically. And so the, there was that challenge. And then, you know, how do we, play Bruce when he's in the company of other people what is that mask and is he mindful of his words and this that and the other thing and then you get to see which is such a fucking cool thing to see in cinema especially when you know you have a subject like a killer or you're playing someone like you get to see them by themselves yeah so the difference the contrast between when they're in the company of others masking you know as all of the great killers did for so long uh, Bundy's a politician or Dahmer's a sweet next door neighbor or whatever right. it was. Um, and then to show you when he's alone what that is and that was really fucking cool or at least purportedly alone as far as he knows or we can tell as the audience mm-hmm. member that um, was um, actually going to be one of my questions too is uh, there's like a yeah. solid at least quarter maybe third of the movie you're carrying entirely it's just you in like the the the, the background or or even just mm-hmm. people in like solid like masks and they're they're not giving for people who haven't seen the movie they're not giving you easy reactions to go off of i mean these are big costume pieces yeah. you know what yeah. is like the thing on set that's like helping you kind of carry these scenes especially given the like intensity with which you you're kind of giving it your all it looked like you were giving it your all out there and i have like, like oh, yeah. on, that credit awe. sequence man like, yeah yeah Jesus. that alone <laughs> yeah 
that final um, credit yeah. sequence was, like, goes on and was on. Was it lonely? Dude, you were like, it's just me on camera? Just the amount of cardio that you do. In yeah. Movie. Oh, yeah. But that's just, that's just exciting. Like, you know, I, 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 again, like my heroes were the real risk takers. My heroes were people who would just kind of bear all on stage. And I never really got the the opportunity to do that. So this is kind of a dream hole, a, a dream role in that respect where I get to play the killer i get to play the terrorizer and the bully and the intimidator but i also be get to be terrorized and then ultimately have this kind of ending sequence so um uh i mean all that shit was so fun and like you know you really are at least you are reacting to things i mean everything was in camera there were hardly any effects so you're really seeing these three goddesses in these extravagant uniforms with a torch you know kind of looming over you or 50 feet of fabric like flowing like a spectral kind of thing in the middle of the woods so and on top of that you know you use your imagination and suddenly you've got this you know you got your prosthetic eyepiece that makes you kind of woozy because you can only <laughs> see so much yeah they fucked you up in that movie yeah yeah, yeah they fucked that. me i know that's fun <laughs> as shit I was gonna say the something I wanted to go back to when you talked about you know portraying uh, sort of the the charismatic or charming guy and, and the, the the challenges that uh, posed for itself. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked a little bit about the aesthetic of the movie being filmed on sixteen millimeter, and uh, that's something that I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you about too. Is uh, something that I think really enhances um, the, the the way your character can come across um, as this sort of idyllic vision of of a charismatic or a hauntingly you know charming sort of individual is done mm-hmm. sort of by the 16 millimeter camera work there's a there's a texture and a grain to that footage that not yes. only for you but for sarah lind obviously it's just it's 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 iconic when you have some of those shots in there especially yes. like we talked about in the first act of this um how much of like the aesthetic were you able to be aware of during the filming process? Cause I, obviously that's, you don't know what it's going to look like until much later. Um, or was that able to, were you, yeah. was that able to lend anything to you? I saw some screenshots, but no, that didn't have any kind of effect on me. I just sort of stayed, I didn't stay in character, but I just sort of focused on my acting challenges and goals at hand, which was to intimidate, keep it interesting without getting caught, trying to make it interesting or without getting caught, like pushing or reaching, without doing a you know Nicholson impression or whatever the fuck. <laughs> and then I started to see dribs and drabs. I can't, I think it was pretty early on. I mean, truly like halfway through the shoot, I think someone snuck me some screenshots. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was like, oh, that's, that's what this is. Uh, and then you see it at Tribeca for the first time, or I saw it at Tribeca for the first time. And the grain really does something. The softness does something. It made, I was like, Oh, I look like a man. (laughs) And I look, I look like a big guy and I look, whatever it is. And then Sarah, it's like, wow, she looks like a movie star from the sixties. Like, this is what, like Travis, you just get it. You just see like, that's why we're all a part of it. Um, uh, That's why I'm here. He knew I could go kind of weird and wild. He knew Sarah could play two characters the way that really everybody plays two characters in this film. Um, But uh, no, I I wasn't aware of it uh, really at all. That's exactly what I was going to say, though, is some of those shots do feel like they're sort of plucked off the shelf of a cinema library from like the 70s or 80s or 60s. It's uh, yeah, they're just very like incredibly beautiful, uh, incredibly beautifully shot. so yeah, a wounded fawn. That was my my takeaway. As far as we we actually were sort of 
synchronicities we were we kind of are steeped in sort of an argento sort of giallo thing lately too yeah, you we caught got us see, at uh, just the right time i know we've we been got, going through a lot of uh, a lot of similarly themed and arid movies we got to see yeah, goblin perform cool. the uh, live score for uh, suspiria in 1977 over down over Whoa! here at the texas theater in uh, dallas was, recently travis uh, went he said it was incredible yeah it was pretty fantastic and uh, there is something sort of uh yeah uh Really beautiful about uh, serendipitous about seeing uh, seeing your mo- seeing this movie and seeing those put right next to each other. I think a great double feature would be that 1977 Suspiria along with uh, yeah, the Wicked Fawn. Yeah. Uh, that has to be like a high yeah. compliment as a filmmaker. That's like one of the best <laughs> things you could hear, right? It's like you should you and Suspiria, those two movies. I see it, dude. Big influence, I think, on Travis for sure. Definitely texturally, color wise, oh, yeah. you can see it in like so uneducated, but. Yeah, 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 you can see it in all the like the blood effects, like the just the bright red colors. I was looking at one shot and like there's the reds are insane, the greens uh, on all the house plants are like it's like someone just yeah, dialed yeah. the saturation up like crazy. Um, that, it was yeah. fascinating. It's beautiful and it works really, really well for this movie. I think we can we can highly recommend both of these movies. People should check them out. Um, A Wounded Fawn, if yeah, you want that sort of psychedelic uh, giallo experience to really take you on a ride, and uh, it's a good it's a good mindfuck movie. I think it fits fits well into our series that we're working on it right now. It truly is. And then Blood Relatives is, is just sort of that feel good, you know, it's, it's, it's a good, it, you have those travel movies, right? That, uh, it almost reminds me of, um, what is that 2006 movie? It's a, a wrist cutters. Did you ever watch that movie? A love story? Uh, I have it. I know of it though. I yeah. missed it, but I know what you're talking about. It had a, it gave me, it made me uh, very nostalgic for that movie. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, it's I'm a, always it's a really curious too, too about this. I've, I've been thinking about it more cause Travis, we've been watching a lot of horror movies now and I'm like feeling like the definition of horror is stretched so mm-hmm. much for me sometimes. Uh, that I often am walking away like, what about this was horror? And, like, what's the percentage and how do we, like, evaluate it? I always love, uh, like, Blood Relatives I found was just such a fascinating um, amalgam of comedy and horror that I think we mm-hmm. as an audience are starting to see can happen. Um, and it, I imagine it blurs the lines even more between, like, you know, your instincts as a comedy performer and, the like, the idea of creating tension, that, that like, dual or twin nature of horror um, intention to the whole the whole aspect of it mm-hmm. absolutely it's cool to go on shutter and see two totally disparate movies next to each other and be like oh those are you know those are sort of my sort not my babies but those are <laughs> ones i'm involved in there one is kind of like a gateway film to gateway horror film you could kind of imagine young girls canonizing for years to come and then you have this you know phantasmagoric feminist um blood wash kind of uh giallo film um it's uh it's it's pretty rad i mean you know the comedy and horror of it all and just kind of how things are are uh evolving you just look at something like deadstream so <laughs> legitimately funny yeah. and so legitimately scary i think even more than the original evil dead because they're <laughs> truly pushing for the humor and the horror is like it's actually unrelenting. It's it, it, it doesn't let up on this, you know, poor fucker. And I, I, th- I think, I, and I think people want to see that kind of thing. The way that, at least speaking for myself, I got to see Violent Night recently, and you say, "Wow, oh, it's, man. it's got beyond diehard <laughs> violence, and it's got the same." I'm still choking up the way I would choke up watching Elf or whatever. What? Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. We just watched that last night. We actually. saw the menu uh, and had a similar oh, experience. Gosh. Yeah. Um, yeah, which was like equal great. amounts uh like un- we're not sure if we're supposed to laugh but it- it's pretty funny oh man yeah um, that's delightfully squirmy for sure it was great and ray fines is just he's like he's, a he's soaking no, up no. the scenery 
Um, hey, Josh, while we have you here, I wanted to talk about uh, just a couple of your, your other films just for people who don't know about them maybe a little bit. Uh, so, for instance, Scare Me was a film that you made uh, that came out in 2020. It features uh, several horror sketches performed by you and Aya Cash uh, and Chris Redd. Um, one of them, notably, is a werewolf story, and some could say this alludes to your feature film, Werewolves Within, uh, that would come out uh, in the following year. Uh, can we expect any other awesome horror pitches turned into a movie anytime soon? Will there be any big screen adaptations of uh, Grandpa or uh, Devin the Edible Arrangement Office Troll? Oh my God, can you imagine if I stretched either of those in the whole movie? I did dare myself to be like, what if my, what if my Ruben verse, just the films uh, of scare, like just the stories of, of scare me. I will say I did uh, both the grandpa story and the, and the, and Venus were both essentially, uh, well, grandpa wasn't so much a screenplay, but Venus certainly was. They were versions of something I had a longer form sort of sense of that just totally hit the wall, totally hit writer's block for. So if that isn't meta enough for you, um, but uh, <laughs> no, nothing, nothing from that world. Although I would like to see uh, that werewolf story. I think a kid whose parents are killed by a werewolf, and you know they spend their life trying to trying to find the you know this uh, this mystery person could be a lot of fun. Maybe I will. <laughs> Okay, I know we're running out of time, uh, so I wanted to thank you for taking time to sit down with us today. And if you're game, we thought it might be fun to go out on this episode with some rapid-fire 12-second impressions. Uh-oh. You want to try some <laughs> of these? Mad, All right. You know. All right, so sure. first up, how about this? How about Guillermo del Toro describing the father-daughter Uh-oh. dynamic between Francis and Jane in Blood Relatives? Okay, so what you have is two creatures because they both have fangs, but uh, you love them because they care about each other, and also there's a car, which is also a character. <laughs> what? <laughs> I honestly, I'm sorry, I didn't I actually. Think I don't know you if it's problematic, it but I love it. It's death, amazing. So. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I ever doubted you. All right, next up, how about uh, Jason no. Bateman nervously trying to reason with Bruce in mm-hmm. a wounded fawn? Uh, well, you know, it's great to be here and I love your art, uh, but uh, I'm not actually uh, that hungry and I think I'm going to uh, I'm going to call a uh, going to call an Uber, bud. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. All right. Uh, lastly, what if Devin, the edible arrangement office troll was trying to convince our audience to go watch these two movies now on Shudder? Well, I want you to watch it because i might get residuals <laughs> i have no idea i don't think beautiful I will, but uh, beautiful yeah. amazing wow no one's asked me to do a devon and forevsies so thank you <laughs> i loved it amazing <laughs> keep you on your toes uh that's josh rubin guys uh thank you so much josh for joining us uh please you guys go watch blood relatives and a wounded fawn on shutter now where you can also stream scare me you can uh, buy werewolves within it's available for purchase on amazon um <clears> thank <throat> you again josh so much for uh, sitting down with us this, uh, this week this is amazing yeah, it's been an absolute blast thank you guys God, <laughs> so sorry about my face and hair such a pleasure y'all thank you so much man awesome we'll talk to you soon hopefully josh you, gentlemen yeah talk to you soon Sunday Scaries.